The Protectors of the Wood episode series. Episode number 20, The Interview. Abby's timer said 11.30. She found her hidden way one more time around the back of the churchyard through the brambles. She was wondering... Have I made a terrible mistake? Will the tunnel be discovered? What will become of the mapstick? Oh, why can't I leave the underground alone? And this interview looks like another disaster. As she crawled through the thick vines near the concealed opening to the tunnel, she began to feel the presence of the mapstick. And then she heard the voice. Calm down. I'm safe. Nothing is happening. Just go ahead. This is how it's supposed to be. Relief flooded through her body, and she thought, (sighs) Okay, then. Here I go. Abby spent over an hour cleaning and organizing her things. In these circumstances, it helps to have very few things. She also cleaned her sneakers and put on her light gray, long-sleeved, button-down, all-purpose shirt. Her black jeans didn't reveal the dirt. Then she brushed and combed her hair. It's a good thing I have no makeup. I don't have the time. It was 12.45. In a few more minutes, she was waiting in the meeting room for her guests. Her heart was beating uncomfortably fast. Her mind had gone blank. Sule and Stephanie arrived in an unusually restrained mood. They had seen the anger of the press and felt the tension of the occasion. Abby explained her plan, and they agreed to wait and talk after the interview. In fact, they were obviously relieved to avoid the situation. Abby told them nervously, It can't take forever to do this. She felt like she was about to have a medical procedure or race in the Olympics against people way faster than her. Time seemed to slow down, as if a trauma were taking place. Sarah and her two companions, carrying their equipment, made plenty of noise tromping down the stairs. Sarah greeted them. Ah, thanks for having us. She was overflowing with excitement and enthusiasm and introduced her sound and camera people, both young men in their late 20s. They stood like soldiers waiting for orders. We'll set you up anywhere you like. It might be complicated to include all three of you, but I think we can manage it. Abby replied. No, I think I'll do the interview alone. She told Stephanie and Sule they could wait there until the interview was over. But we'll cross the yard and do the interview in my cottage. Oh, how nice of you. A much better idea. But I must say, those poor journalists outside the gate are eaten up with jealousy. I don't know how you'll handle them. They are pissed. But what can we do except keep out of their way? Right. Let's do this. The group of four with their equipment headed across the yard. Catcalls, hissing, boos, and hostile sounds of all kinds came from the sidewalk. They avoided even a glance at the street and squeezed into Abby's tiny combination living in bedroom. My God, it feels so small. This is ridiculous. Abby put a chair near the back window, giving the cameraman room to move 
and a way to include a view of the room as a whole. Can we photograph the whole cottage? There's not much of it, but it's all yours. Photo whatever you think makes sense, and ask any questions you want. Except, I don't want my friends or family or colleagues to receive the kind of treatment I'm getting. I'll handle my part, but we have to be very cautious about other people. Stick to questions about me. Sarah was stung by these instructions, hearing the implication that she was a part of the ruthless profession of journalism, always ready and willing to profit on other people's suffering. She looked at Abby in irritation. Well, you asked me to do this interview. If you don't want it done, we'll just leave. I'm not here to slander people. Abby was thrown off balance by this comeback and forced herself to remain silent. Everyone froze. Finally, she said, Sarah, I know I invited you to come. You're great at this. I saw your interview with Sonny. I need your help badly, as you can see. But even Sonny set up limitations. And it's best that I mention mine before we start. This is not an easy thing we're doing. But when you talk about this treatment you're getting, you act like I'm harassing you and intending to harass others. Our friends, for instance. As if I'm not already worried about that. I'm the one who asked you for help in knowing what to publish. I apologize. Really, I didn't mean it that way. I was talking about the whole spotlight I'm getting. You know, these people on the street, the hatred... The stalkers following me? Mobs trying to kill me? These are all my circumstances. I have to protect others, or no one will respect anything I do or say. You're a friend of mine, a colleague, someone I love and respect. This is a hard and risky job for both of us. Got it. No problem. I understand. Just remember that I have self-respect, too. I need to be sure my job is not based on abusing innocent people. And I promise to give you a preview of all we do, with all full veto rights, okay? Sarah, I'm really grateful. Abby stood up and hugged her. And about the question of what to publish, I promise we'll get to that soon. Sarah nodded. It was all a little embarrassing in front of the two men waiting like furniture in the room. But in fact, the argument had created a whole new atmosphere for the interview. The interest and concentration of all four of them was now full of adrenaline, focused like a laser beam. They did a sound check, took some moving shots of the whole room, and fussed with the lighting for Abby by moving her chair and setting up some clamp lights. Sarah brushed her hair and moved a chair to sit side by side. She even put a little makeup on Abby's face. Sarah said, Just a few accents. Okay, boys. Recording. Three, two, one. Today we have the wonderful good fortune to interview Abby Chapman in her cottage on the grounds of the Middletown United Church. Many of you have been following this story in Middletown over the past few weeks and know the incidents and unusual conflicts that have received the attention in the public eye. Today, Abby invited us here to present her own thoughts on these recent events. Abby, thank you very much for the invitation. It's my pleasure, Sarah. I'm glad to be able to be here and talk about the questions people may have. 
We understand that you just returned to the church yesterday. Many of our readers saw the photos of you fleeing down Bridge Avenue in a hailstorm last Sunday, the day of the trustee election. Can you tell us why you escaped from town and hid over these last five days? I'll just say straight out that I was scared, frightened for my life. Abby paused, organized her thoughts, and went on. Many of you will remember that I was interviewed at the gate of this churchyard just about four weeks ago, after I was attacked by a mob with torches just inside the forest, and I've been followed by private investigators for the past few weeks. I'm not ashamed to admit that this has been an agonizing experience. Thank you for being so frank with us. Some of these problems have been covered in our newspaper, and we welcome any comments you may have. Abby was unsure where to begin, and Sarah suggested, Perhaps you can shed light on why these incidents occurred. The public wonders what this violence is all about, and why it is aimed at you, and how it relates to this church. It can't be just a coincidence. This mob violence occurred on both occasions during strange and severe, even life-threatening storms, the kind of storms we rarely see. The first storm led to dangerous flooding all along the river valley, as well as traffic accidents that made transportation impossible. The second storm occurred during the vote for trustee here at the church and made it very difficult or impossible for anyone to leave. People could not go home. It's understandable that these situations could cause fear and anger. Yes, very understandable. But, and feel free not to answer if you wish, why do you think the violence was aimed at you? Sarah was nervous. Abby turned away from the camera and gave her a wink, as if to say, It's okay. I was looking for that. I think there are a few reasons I'm not sure I can explain them very well, and I don't mean to say I'm certain of anyone's motivations, but I will offer some possibilities that occurred to me. Please take all the time you want. Sarah's eyes were wide open with excitement. It was, oh, at least eight weeks ago that our church trustees submitted a proposal about climate change to the congregation for a vote. It was approved but had no real consequences except to bring the conflict out in the open. The proposal declared the destruction of species in our environment to be a sin and made support for the diversity of life and the health of our planet a special mission for our congregation. I was very moved by Reverend Tuck's sermon on the subject, as were many of my friends, and we wanted to find a way to make this mission real, actually do something, show that it mattered. But we could see that the congregation, and indeed our whole country, is deeply divided over this crisis. And it is a real crisis. Our civilization has built up wealth and power through fossil fuel technology. And now we will have to do without it or destroy ourselves. All those who have amassed fortunes and conveniences and jobs and power through these fuels may have reasons to attack those who try to bring on change. This problem applies to almost everything we do. Heating our homes, driving cars, using plastics and fertilizers. It just goes on and on. It even includes expanding natural environments and restricting commercial development. But how is this an issue for the church? Why did Reverend Tuck get involved? It's all about children and the future. 
and whether the earth is basically a good gift of God or not. Reverend Tuck told us that the sun will support life on earth for maybe four or five billion more years. That's four or five billion. I did the math. That's maybe a hundred thousand times longer than humans have existed so far. Should we call supporting and preserving that future a sacred responsibility? Is it something we need to take seriously? Do we care about the future of our children, animals, trees? Because it's all up for grabs. And children are not stupid. They know the adults are making terrible mistakes. A child asked me the other day, will there be a war? A war could end it all. Children know when we're talking about war or climate change. We're talking about their future and whether they will have a future. So what have you, your friends, or Reverend Tuck done about this? Thanks for listening. Episode number 21 is coming soon. To hear all the episodes, please go to our website at www.protectorsofthewood.com. For Facebook and Instagram, please visit us at Protectors of the Wood Book Series.
There's nothing I can see It's dark as can be Hold my hand and see me through I'm lost if I don't have you God help the shape that I'm in God help the shape that I'm in Just come back to me I'll be yours for free I'll do all the good I can do It's just that I need you God help the shape that I'm in God help the shape that I'm in